Praise the Lord for our young people. Amen. That was really well done. Thank you, young people. Open your Bible, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 39. Exodus 39. Notice again, please, verse 30. And they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it a writing like to the engravings of a signet. Repeat these words out loud now with me. Holiness to the Lord. Let's say them again. Holiness to the Lord. Today, we're going to continue our small series on the attributes of God. And we're going to talk about his holiness today. How can you possibly uh, deal with the attributes of God and not deal with the holiness of God? Now, some people think that holiness is a dull subject until the day that they meet the real holiness of God. And then it becomes electrifying. It becomes life changing. You know, there are not a lot of sermons preached. I think these days on the holiness of God, there are multitudes of sermons being preached on the subject of success and how to achieve things in life. But the more that I I live and the more I think about it, I believe that the secret of the most high is found in God's holiness. I think that that is the heart of the matter. And so if we're going to be like God, we're also going to need to be holy. And we'll look at those scriptures in just a moment. Let's bow for prayer. Our heavenly father, truly we are our poor reflections of your holiness. Truly even the best of us find ourselves undone. Our father, we ask you please to teach us this matter of holiness that everyone here would come face to face in a meeting with your holiness. Lord, help us to realize once again that we serve a, a wonderful God, but not just a God of love, but a holy God. It seems to be missing in so many Christians' lives and homes and families, the holiness of Almighty God. Father, maybe that's why so many of us these days have trouble reverencing and fearing you because we've somewhat lost sight of your holiness. Please manifest that today. Help us to learn. I pray, Lord, for those that may be watching over the internet. They may be at home. They're not feeling well. Lord, I ask that you would please touch them with grace and healing. And allow them, Lord, to get much out of the message today. And we'll glorify you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to be the first to go on record saying that I don't know all there is to know about the holiness of God. And often I feel myself a, a poor teacher of this subject. Because I know my own heart. And I think that I I share a common denominator with uh, many of you, most of you, that we sure wish we were more holy than what we are. That we struggle to get through a day, let alone a week. Once a month, we try to celebrate the table of the Lord. And just about every time we do, we try to put forward the challenge would you live for Jesus for the next 30 days till we meet at the table of the Lord once again? 
And it's a challenge that it's a good challenge. And we, we put that forth, but we have trouble keeping up with it. Sometimes it's like a new year's resolution. You make it, you know, January one or something, and it's forgotten by January two. That happens. We, we are often people of the best of intentions, us born again, believers. We have the best of intentions. We have good hearts that way, the best of intentions, but very short memories. And we need to keep in mind this idea of the holiness of God, because I do believe it will change us. Now the subject is too vast, too complex a subject for us to explore completely and fully here on earth. It's going to be something that we'll be studying more of uh, for all time and eternity. But I do believe that God has given us enough in the scriptures that will change our lives. The old evangelist of the 1800s, D.L. Moody, he used to say a holy life will make the deepest impression upon people around you. A holy life will make the deepest impression upon people around you. He went on to say, lighthouses do not blow horns. They simply shine. Now, what is holiness? When we talk about holiness, what are we talking about? Well, again, it's a bit of a, a clunker of a definition, but I believe the quality holiness is the quality of living life away from sin, apart from sin. I think that that may not be a perfect definition, but it's, it's fairly close to get, if you're a golfer to get the ball in, in, in the cup, it's fairly close to there. The quality of living life away from sin, living a life apart from sin, easier said than done. I'll be the first to admit it. Now, when it comes to God, righteousness is something that God does as an action. But holiness is something that God is at the very core. How are you at the very core of your life? You know, we talk about the heart. The word heart refers to the very center. That's the idea. And in my understanding of the soul being a composition of mind, will, and intellect, that makes up a person. A person has mind, will, and intellect. That personage. That's the soul. You are a soul that happens to be living in a body right now. You are not a body that happens to have a soul. You're a soul that happens to have a body right now. One day that body will change. Either we'll have to put it in the ground or Jesus will change it at the rapture. Oh, happy day. Hmm? Wonderful thought. But you, the real you, your soul, the deepest part, if you can imagine the letter V, the deepest part right at the bottom, that's your heart. There you are. Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are what? The issues of life. Keep thy heart. Very important. Protect your heart. A mistake that young people sometimes make is they, they quickly, too quickly give their heart away. Maybe uh, some sweetheart of a young girl, you know, uh, the shark. Men know all about sharks. <laughs> Girls, if you want to know if a guy is a shark, ask your dad. 
Yeah, he knows something about sharks. He's been, he's been around the waters more than once. You know, the sign language for shark is this. Eh? There's the, the fin above the water, the shark. The shark. We, we call them sharks because they come in just to bite and devour. They're, they're lustful. They're greedy. They're bloodthirsty. And they see a sweet young Christian girl. Boy, they're, they're coming in. That's why I think young ladies would be very smart to get their dads involved if they possibly can. Dad, you check him out for me. Maybe that'll scare your dad. Huh? But maybe your dad needs to be scared. Get close to God on his knees. That's good for dads. A little commercial there. Righteousness is what God does. Holiness is what God is. We talk about the, the soul and the heart. The very deepest point where you make your decisions in life. and Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. Guard it. Don't wear your heart on your sleeve. Keep it in Jesus' hands. And your heart is so very important, but the truth is, truth be known. We have dirty hearts. We have a problem with our heart. You know, the heart is deceitful. That's what else the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah. And it's so deceitful. Listen to this. The heart is deceitful. What does it say? Above all things. And it doesn't stop there. The period isn't there. It goes on and it says, and is desperately wicked. Say it with me. Desperately wicked. That means you're living with a desperado right there. Every one of us has this potential to be bad, to go wonky, to be naughty, to be crooked, to be wicked. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So we have to be on guard, don't we? That's why God has given us armor in Ephesians chapter 6. We need to protect that heart. We need to guard that heart. And we need to realize that that heart is not perfect. Sometimes we talk about, you know, being pure like the, like the driven snow. We look at snowflakes and we say, oh, how pure. But I'll tell you a little secret about the snowflake. It starts, you know, up in the skies. And all it is are little water crystals that form around a particle of dust. And around that particle of dust, these little crystals start growing and then they get heavy and they fall to earth. And we say, Oh, look, look at the snow. Oh, and we catch them on our tongue, you know, and make snowballs and snowmen, snow angels, snow forts, snow devils, I guess. But did you know that every snowflake is built around a particle of dust. That means every snowflake has a dirty heart. Every snowflake has a dirty heart. And you and I are here today. We may be blood bought, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, saved our names written in the lamb's book of life, never to be blotted out a mansion being constructed in heaven. We may be saved on our way to heaven. And yet we still have trouble with the heart, your heart and my heart. That's where life is going to be lived. And we're either going to, succeed or we're going to fail depending on the heart. So what's the answer here? Well, we need to become more like our heavenly father. Don't we? You see, God is holy. 
He doesn't have a dirty heart. His heart is absolutely and has always been pure. He is holy. He is holy. And he is holy. We serve a thrice holy God is what we do. Now I'd like you to turn please to the book of Isaiah to the right. Past Psalms, Psalms about the middle of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Go Ecclesiastes in there too. And you get to Isaiah and you go to chapter six. And we have this familiar story here. Isaiah was living in the days of King Uzziah. Verse one of chapter six of Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. The train were those regal robes. And they were so regal and they were so long and big that just filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. The word seraphim means burning one. That's what it means. Each one had six wings with twain. That means with two, he covered his face and with twain, he covered his feet and with twain, he did fly. And verse three is what I'd like you to notice here. In fact, read it out loud with me, please. Everyone read it out loud. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow. That's why we say we have a thrice holy God. Only a thought here, but possibly the reason why we've got three holies is because we have father, son, and Holy spirit. That may be, but we do have a thrice holy God shielded by the burning ones, by the seraphim. And if I know anything about Isaiah here, I think he fell before the Lord. Something interesting, if you've studied the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple, in the very Holy of Holies was this box-like device. And this was, this on top of this was a, a, a lid called the mercy seat. And on top of that were these two special angelic beings called the cherubim. And there were two of them. You know that this cherubim was set at the garden of Eden after Adam and Eve fell into sin and God had to move him out of the garden. And he put one of these creatures at the gate with a flaming sword. Only one of them stood there at the garden of Eden. But here two of them are required again to shield God. Why is it that not even angels can look upon his holiness? Why is that? Perhaps because they're not designed to possibly back in 1800, give or take a preacher by the name of Reginald Heber got so filled with the thought of God's holiness that he took pen and parchment and he wrote, holy, 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 all the saints adore thee casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim, falling down before thee, which word and art and evermore shall be. It's hard to be to him like that. Wow. One of our problems is that we're not studying the holiness of God. And the old saying out of sight, what 
out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. We need to be students of the holiness of God. I believe in the holiness of God. I believe if I understand the Bible, right? The holiness of God burns like a fire hotter than the sun. The holiness of God is the furnace of his power. The holiness of God is what determines the course of his actions. It decides the outcome of his judgments. It decrees the direction of his dealings with mankind. You know, we, you and I, at least in this present state, we, we could not stand before the holiness of God. It would melt us. It would evaporate us. It would destroy us. He is a thrice holy God. It was Isaac Newton, the famous scientist and inventor who decided he wanted to see the sun. And he thought, well, I can't look at it directly. So he took a mirror and he stood and he stared into the image of the sun as portrayed in that mirror. I don't know for how long he stood there looking at the sun, but I know he went blind for three days and he was fortunate not to have gone completely blind. If he had stayed a few more minutes or something, apparently the sun's ultraviolet lights burn the uh, insides of our eyeballs and blind us. Now I think we're all smart enough not to stand there looking at the sun. We know better. And yet some people have done just that. They've stood there and they've just stared, you know, like a deer in the headlights, stared right at the sun and they've gone blind because of it. I don't think that you and I are equipped to be able to be right there in the presence of God's almighty holiness. But you see, we're talking about the essence of what God is. God is love. Yes, he is. He's a God of mercy and a God of good works. But He's a holy God. And I think that this touches more the heart of the matter. Now the Bible tells us other things that are holy. When Moses came into the presence of God, apparently the ground upon which Moses was standing was holy. What made it holy? The presence of God. God's presence made it holy. And God told him, remove your sandals. For the ground on which thou standest is holy ground. The scriptures themselves are holy. We're told that in second Timothy three 15, why are the scriptures holy? Because God is the author. Any book that man writes is not that holy, but if God writes a book, that's holy. That's why it says on your Bible, Holy Bible. Does that make sense? God's name is holy. Why? Because it represents God. His day of rest is holy. Why? Because that's when we get in there and meet with God. You know, I'm not against professional sports. I'm just against the fact they do a lot of it on Sunday, the Lord's day. My wife and I, when we drive into church, normally it's past a soccer field. And did you know that you'll find soccer worshipers out there on the soccer field late Sunday night in the dark, in the pouring rain and windy cold. Did you know that? And yet these same people probably couldn't go to church because it's raining. These same people couldn't go to church because, oh, it's too early in the morning. It starts at 11. Ah. 
And yet you can drive by and you can watch these sillies and they're out there freezing, shivering, turning into popsicles, drenched and so on. And this this is where it's at. This is good. Yeah, Yeah. I wish more people were out here. No wonder they're called fanatics. I have nothing against soccer. Trust me. It's just, boy, they sure do it on the Lord's day. I wonder how many Christians are being kept out of the Lord's house on the Lord's day because they hear the call of the golf course. They hear the call of professional sports or some hobby or something like that. Not so good folks, in my opinion, only. Um, the, well, we could go on about other things that are holy, but listen, when God looks at our lives, when he looks at your life, when he looks at my life, what is it that he's looking for? What is it that thrills the heart of God? Really? Is it how well you can juggle? Is it how well you can count your paycheck? What is it that thrills the heart of almighty God? What is it? And I'd like to suggest to you, it could be summed up in one word. You know what that word is? Say it. If you know it, holiness, holiness. That's why the Bible tells us to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You say beauty. Who thinks it's beautiful? Our father in heaven. When he sees us worshiping him in the beauty of holiness, that's what gets him excited. That's what he's looking for. I believe with all my heart, holiness ought to be what we are. We ought to live out what we are. God says, be ye holy for I am holy. When we live a holy life, we are living like he lives. And I believe that's what makes God happy. What is holiness? Well, my clunky little definition again is the quality of living life apart from sin. I believe it's a life that's set apart for everyday use and reserved for God and the ways of God. I believe that's holiness. Someone says, well, what if God's holiness became defiled? What would happen if all of a sudden God got a dirty heart? Listen, you don't even want to think about that. It's a foolhardy question because it will never happen. He is forever holy. He'll always be period. But what if, well, a foolhardy question might deserve a foolhardy answer. Well, I suppose the sun would cool. I suppose the planet would die. I suppose God would become a mean old man on a throne with a big stick. If his holiness were to ever become defiled, who knows? Maybe the devil would take over, but God is forever. Holy Joshua told the nation Israel about God, referring to him as a holy God. Jesus prayed to his father in heaven, calling him holy father. The winged creatures in revelation 418 flew around his throne and cried, holy, 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 holy. Again, God is a thrice holy God. And that is the secret of his greatness. But now God comes to you and I and asks us to follow him in holiness. In Leviticus 20, verse seven, it says, sanctify yourselves there, therefore, and be ye holy for I am the Lord, your God. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, but as he which hath called you is holy. 
So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. It's not a question. Would you like to be holy? Is that something you might be interested in today to be holy today? It's not a question. It's a command every day that we choose something other than holiness. We are willingly or unwillingly knowingly or unknowingly. We're choosing sin. We're choosing unholiness is what we're doing. It's a command for you and I, one that we'll answer to God for. If you're saved, if you're on your way to heaven, you expect to be in heaven. You're going to stand before God, the great, you know, time, the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. When Christ looks through our lives, he's going to look for what he can reward. That's what he's looking for. If you want to get rewards from God in heaven, but also here on earth, then follow him in holiness. This is, this is a very, very important. You say, well, what if I commit a sin? What happens then? Many Christians are afraid of failure because they can't be as holy as God. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you've committed too many times and you hate it. You despise it. You said, if there was a button somewhere I could push to get rid of this sin, boy, I'm pushing it. If there's a prayer I could make to rid that sin out of my life, I'd pray that prayer right now. And maybe you have prayed. And maybe you've determined before God, God, that's the last time I'm going to commit that sin. And then a day later, a week later, maybe as much as a month later, you do it again. The sin you hate the most is the one you commit the most. That's the one you just feel so helpless in the presence of that temptation, that sin. Now in the light of that, Here's the pastor talking about holiness, the holiness of God. And we're supposed to be holy. And my question is, well, all right, then what happens when I fall through the ice again? What happens when I get tempted and I commit that miserable stinking rotten sin? What then? Well, that's why we've, we've got the promise of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the cleansing again. I don't know, but it may be your lot in life to struggle in a certain area for the rest of your days. It might be, but it might also be your happy experience to find complete victory over that miserable, rotten sin in your prayer closet as you daily get away from the world and get into God's presence and let him cleanse you and let the Holy word of God uh, wash these things out of your life, out of your heart. You get to a point where you're not thinking about that sin. You'll get to a point where you're going to say, Hey man, it's been a long time. Praise the Lord. You'll find that only in your prayer closet. You're not going to find that playing video games or going to uh, worldly events or something. You'll find that with God getting in there close with God. You see your prayer closet is the best thing you have on earth to the old Testament tabernacle. The high priest would get in there close with God. You and I can get in close with God in the confines of our own home. Get in there in your prayer closet, cut yourself off from people, get alone with God. 
You say, oh, pastor, I live in a tiny little shoebox and, you know, there's 14 of us in the shoebox. I, I don't have a little corner I can go to. Well, then you get a blanket or something. Instruct your family. Say, listen, when you see me under the blanket, I'm talking to Jesus. So help me out here. Try to give me some space. Turn your cell phone off. Cut yourself off from people. Put the blanket up over your head. Get a little lamp or a flashlight. Get your Bible open. There's your prayer closet. Well, the holy place and the most holy place in the tabernacle kind of illustrate levels of holiness almost. Did you know that Christian men can become holy, but they'll never become completely holy and sinless until they get to heaven. Does that make any sense? We can still be holy. How do you know that? Because the Bible refers to certain men as holy men. There were holy men who wrote the scriptures for us, for example, yet they're not in heaven. They're on earth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's what God says. Yet some of us will harbor sin within the secret places of our hearts, hoping that no one will find out. Listen, I want to show you something here. Do you have that PowerPoint? I sent a PowerPoint. Is it ready to go? All right. Can I just press the button there? What do you think of that? Wouldn't you like to have a heart as clean as that? Wouldn't that be nice? Phew, boy, one day is going to happen. It will happen. Now I tell you, that's not why I put that up there. I got something else I'm going to show you. I want to show you four steps that apply to holiness and apply to almost anything. Now, I've been saved about 45 years, been in the ministry going on 40. I've done all kinds of counseling, worked with people all those decades. I've studied the Bible, read it dozens of times. And I've come to believe that there are four essential steps or basic steps that you can just about apply to anything you want to do for God. The first one is this deadness. It starts there with deadness. You've got no desire. You know, we talk about the holiness of God, you know, and you're just, huh? What language is that? I see his lips moving. I hear sounds, but what is, what is he talking about? That's because there's a deadness in your soul, a deadness. Now, not everyone is dead, but usually before anything wonderful happens for God in our lives, it begins there deadness. You say, is this just for unsaved? No, this is for saved. This principle applies to saved people. Now after deadness comes desire. All of a sudden you hear some preaching, you read some Bible, you get a desire for something. In this case, it may be desire for holiness to live a holy life. Whereas perhaps before you came to church, you had no desire. You just kind of fell dead. If someone had said to you, Hey, what do you think about holiness? You were, eh, eh. but perhaps here you are in church. You've heard the preaching on holiness and you're, you've got a desire, man. I'd like to be holy. I want to be holy. That's step two. As I say, this will apply to many, if not most areas of your Christian life, things you want to do. You want to become a soul winner. There was a time in your life, soul winner. Oh, that's not me. Eh, that was deadness. 
But then the Holy Spirit worked in your life and you started saying, well, maybe I could use my life for God. Maybe God could use me as a soul winner, maybe just to win my family to Christ. Wow. Would that ever be great to win my family to Christ? Oh, I have a desire. But then comes the third step we call disturbance. And the disturbance can mean fear, fear of doing it. It can mean faltering. Hmm? It can mean being excited. It can mean being scared. You have this disturbance. It's like you've got to cross this valley. You start over here and you want to get to over there. And first you were dead, but now you're upright and you got a desire. You want to be a soul winner, say, but you say, man, that's a long way. Look at all of the fear and problems I have to overcome to become a soul winner. And now you you're into disturbance, the disturbance of it. That's normal. It's the same with holiness. At one time you were dead to holiness. And perhaps after a message like this, you were awakened to it and you have a desire for holiness, but then you enter into disturbance. How can I be holy? I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. Oh God. I got problems. I've tried to overcome them and I fail, fail, fail. Oh yeah. Big me failure. How can I be holy? You're going through disturbance, but that's the only way to get to delight. We all have to go through disturbance, be it for soul winning or holiness in order to land here at delight. This is where you're experiencing holiness firsthand. And as I say, you will find it in your prayer closet. Your prayer closet is what will strengthen you and give you wisdom and power over all of the disturbances. Now you could be back here with uh, some other uh, idea of, of using your life in a great way. Maybe you feel God has called you to be some professional of some sort and you've got a desire, but you're looking at all of the disturbance. I'm a lousy student. I have trouble memorizing and these are your disturbances, but through your prayer closet, you will get power to work through the Valley of the shadow of death until you land here in delight and you'll find, yes, I, I made it here. I am serving God with my life. Now we're talking today about holiness and you really can end up there in delight, but you know something you can lose it because what What's the first thing to go from here, from holiness? The first thing is your delight. Now you're back here in the valley of disturbance. Now use soul winning for an example. You've finally worked your way through and you're, you're winning souls, but something happens over a period of time and you lose your delight. Now you're back here in disturbance. You know, you should be winning souls, but you're too tired. You know, you should be winning souls, but there's other things calling for your attention. What's going to happen. You're not going to stay here. Oops. You're going to go back to desire. You're going to get out of the disturbances because nobody stays there. Nobody lives in the Valley of the shadow. They pass through it one way or the other. You cool off. Oh yeah, sure. I still want to see people saved. Of course I do. But you see, it's no longer here in the disturbance. Oh man, man, I know I should be out there. It's definitely no delight because you're not winning souls. 
and it's disturbance, but then you lose that. You've got desire. What's going to happen next? Can you guess? You're not going to have any more desire. One day you'll be sitting there. An evangelist will come in and preach on soul winning and you'll just sit there. Yeah. Because you're dead. It's dead. It's dead, Jim. Dead. When it comes to holiness, it starts with deadness. But it should go to desire. From desire, you should have disturbance. How's this going to happen? How can I live a holy life tomorrow? You know, I go into work. Oh man, I know those disturbances. What am I going to do? Through your prayer closet, you're going to get victory. And you're going to find when you get there, you're going to delight. Because instead of letting your eyes and ears feast on things you know are wrong, you're going to have new power. In the area of of eating, some of us have trouble with eating the wrong foods and eating too many of the wrong foods. And we have trouble with that. But at one point we thought nothing of it, Eh. but then we had desire, man, I need to improve my health or I need to lose weight or something. There was desire, but then came the disturbance. What? I have to cut out this and cut out that. And I got to, Oh man, I got to exercise. This is your Valley of shadow, but through your prayer closet, You can delight yourself. And the Bible says to delight yourself in in the abundance of fatness, but it doesn't mean physical fatness. It means a spiritual fatness. But after a while, what can happen is you lose that. You start gaining the weight and you're back here into the valley of struggle, but you're not going to stay here. Eventually you're going to give up and you're still going to have some desire, but give it time and you'll lose that too. You're back here. Does that help? When it comes to holiness, it's what you are, not what you do. And God says, be like me. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Do you have a desire today? Do you have a desire to follow your father in holiness? I can promise you this. It'll change your life. I only really experienced holiness on a more regular basis. Listen, I'm not Holy Joe. Okay. I'm not the perfect guy. Don't pattern anything after me, but I can tell you, I've had more successes with holiness since I've been spending time in the prayer closet. And I'm no different from you. You can have it too. And when you are living a holy life, your head comes above water. In fact, your head comes above the clouds. In fact, you start breathing heaven's air. If that's what you want, come on the invitation today and say, God, I'm going to go for it. Help me through the valley of disturbance. I need your help. Oh God, to do this and then live a holy life. D.L. Moody said, holiness makes the greatest impression on people. On your unsaved family or on your backslidden family or friends at work or at school. What will you do? Let's all stand for prayer.